Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. Over Sundays in the month of February, we're looking at Jesus's purpose and the values that define our culture. That in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus highlights his purpose. He says, the devil, he comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus underscores his purpose for coming and highlights four things. They're the four values that that you and I build our lives on. They're the four values that we're building this church on. Jesus said, I have come, that's proactive, that they might have, that's others focused, life, that's life giving, and not just any life, but life in all of its fullness, life in all of its abundance, that's generosity, proactive, others focused, life giving, and generous. That's how you build a strong church. That's how you build a strong life. Jesus underscoring his purpose. If you're looking a bit closer, because we're into week number three now, you can see not only does Jesus underscore his purpose in John chapter 10, verse 10, but you can also see the path of Jesus. I have come. That that, that's being proactive, but you can also see that in the path of Jesus. That's the incarnation that, that they might have. That, that's the crucifixion. That Jesus goes to the cross in order that you and I might be redeemed. That all mankind might have a way available to them to be able to accept the love and grace of God. I have come. That, that's, that's the incarnation. That, that they might have. That's the crucifixion. Life. That's the resurrection. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. No, he rose from the grave. And not just life, but life in all of its abundance. That's the ascension. The crucifixion. Right, the, the, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, you can see the purpose and the path of Jesus in this statement that highlights four significant values for us. If you're joining us partway through this, t- today we're up to part number three. We're talking about what does it mean to be life-giving. Given. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and life in all of its fullness. I honestly believe that God is adding strength to our church, that God is adding strength to your life and to mine, that this is a year for us to lengthen the cords and to strengthen the stakes. And if that's true, then one of the ways we'll be able to tell is by seeing the prominence of these four values in our life. Think about it this way, that a strong church is a proactive church. That's true, isn't it? Right? A strong church is an other's focused church. A strong church is a life-giving church. A strong church is a generous church. The truth is you can take anything and fill in that blank, take out the word church, and it still makes exactly the same amount of sense. You can apply it to relationships. A strong relationship is a proactive relationship where you're investing into that relationship before you hit turbulence. Right? A strong relationship is a proactive relationship. Not where I'm waiting for you to, to apologize first. No, 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 I'm quick to be able to ask for forgiveness because I'm proactive about it. Right? And so a, a strong relationship is a proactive relationship. A strong relationship is an others-focused relationship. The strongest relationships, right, are where we aren't focused on ourselves and our own needs, but actually on the needs of others. A strong relationship is an others-focused relationship. A strong relationship is a life-giving relationship. There is a big difference between being life-giving and life-draining. This is the point where you look straight ahead. Don't make eye contact with anybody else in this part of the message, right? 
There's a big difference between that. A strong relationship it is a relationship that's life-giving. It puts life into your bones. It builds up courage on the inside. A strong relationship is a generous relationship. Not where I'm stingy, not with my praise, not with my encouragement, not with my love, given that it was Valentine's Day this week. I'm not stingy about it. No, no, I'm generous in every area. Proactive, others-focused, life-giving, generous. That's the kind of life that I want to live. That's the kind of church that we want to build. And so we're looking at today this third value. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. There is a massive difference between being life-giving and being life-draining. There are some people, right, that you spend sort of half an hour with, and and during that half an hour, you can feel the life being sucked out of you. Again, this is just the perfect time just to look ahead. You don't know many people like this, and certainly don't look at your spouse at this moment if there's been any disagreement in the car on the way here, right? But there are some relationships in our life that you know the difference between life-giving and life-draining because you've experienced it. Then there are other people that you sort of spend an hour with them, and it seems to go so quick, you, you, you could spend another hour because that the more time you spend around them, the kind of more life that seems to begin to erupt on the inside. There's a big difference between life-giving and life draining. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that we would be life giving in all that we do. Why? Because it reflects the heart of God. Jesus was life giving. When you read the account of the Gospels, one of the things that stands out is that tax collectors and sinners and people who are usually seen outside of the realms of church, they were the people who loved hanging out with Jesus. Which tells us something about what Jesus was like. Jesus was the kind of person that whether you were religious or not, you wanted to be around him because there was something magnetic about him. There was something intriguing about him. That There was something life-giving about Jesus. And so Jesus had tax collectors and sinners as the kind of people who wanted to spend time with him. They didn't find him judgmental. They found him incredibly intriguing. That There's account after account of that. People like Zacchaeus, who, who was not invited to anyone else's parties. He was a tax collector. He would become very wealthy, profiting off other people, in fact, his own countrymen. And yet when he meets Jesus, Jesus says, hey, we're going to go and have lunch at your house today. And so Zacchaeus puts on a banquet and he invites all of his friends, the kind of friends who aren't invited to the synagogue. And Jesus hangs out with them. And over the course of hanging out at Zacchaeus' house, something transforms in the heart of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, you know what? I've lived a life that that I'm not very proud of. And so if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'm going to give it back. And not just what I I took from them, but I'm going to give more. Something transforms in his heart in the time that he spends having lunch with Jesus. What is that? Jesus is life-giving. Think about the fact it wasn't just tax collectors and sinners. It was children. Children wanted to spend time with Jesus. That there was something about Jesus that was so life-giving that even children were intrigued by him. Think about the fact that Jesus, all of his disciples likely were under the age of 30. Most of them were probably teenagers or young adults themselves. You cannot tell me that Jesus was not life-giving and fun. You know, the scripture says that, that Jesus came walking to the disciples on the water. You know that story, right, where Jesus is, you know, they're all in the boat and they're afraid and they see this person walking on the water to them and they assume that it's a ghost. Why do they assume that it's a ghost? Why do they not assume it's Jesus? They've spent a lot of time with him. Probably because Jesus is walking on the water to them going, Jesus was life-giving. 
Not only was Jesus life-giving, not only is that what we see in the Gospels, but, but Jesus himself declared that he had come to bring life. John 10 verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. John chapter 6 and verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Jesus came to bring life. In John 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Think of John 11 verse 25, where Jesus said to her, talking to Lazarus's sisters who've just seen their brother die four days earlier and go into the tomb and they're beside themselves with grief. And Jesus comes to teach them something more than just about resurrecting their brother. He comes to teach them something about himself. John 11 verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That you and I would be life-giving and join Jesus in being life-giving people. That we would build a life-giving church. And so this morning, we're going to go to John chapter 11, which is where Jesus resurrects Lazarus and make three observations for us about the kind of people we want to be. John chapter 11 and verse 38, this is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I want to speak to us about what does it mean to be a life-giving person, a life-giving church from the observations from a stone and some clothes. The first thing that we notice in this story is actually that Jesus, when he comes into this town, he's coming knowing already that Lazarus, who is one of his friends and, and Martha and Mary's brother, has died. And he didn't just recently die, he died four days ago. He's been placed into a tomb and upon coming into the, into the city, he's met by one of the sisters who, who's really upset and says, Jesus, if you'd come, if you'd come earlier, then, then maybe Lazarus hadn't died. And people are in mourning and people are stricken with grief. And this is somebody that everybody knew and loved. And, and here he is, taken too early, and he, he's dead and in the grave. And when Jesus rocks up in verse 41, what he says is, take away the stone. If you and I are going to be life-giving people, then, then what you and I are called to do is to remove the stones or obstacles that keep people from Jesus. Have you noticed that there's people in your life, in your workplace, in your business, in your school, that, that seem to have obstacles when it comes to God? That maybe obstacles when it comes to church. Maybe obstacles when it comes to putting their faith and trust in Jesus. That Jesus actually says to Lazarus' friends, here's what I want you to do. Before I do anything else, I want you to remove the stones. I pray that we would be the kind of church that removes the stones, the obstacles for people. That, that we would make it so simple. 
and so easy that the only thing left for you to trip over is Jesus himself, right? That, that in the way that we live our lives, that that would be the case. By the way that we share, by the way we do services, that we would be the kind of church that removes the obstacles that people have when it comes to God. Because the truth is, all of us have had a few obstacles that we've had to overcome before we've said yes to Jesus. Maybe through our own past experiences, maybe through some sort of hurt, maybe not even through our own experiences, maybe just through the experiences of others. It's interesting that before Jesus does anything else, he says to Lazarus' friends, I want you to remove the stone. Then when we remove every obstacle, we leave people with only one option, and that's to trip over Jesus himself. We want to be those kind of people. We want to be that kind of church. That, that for Elise and I, our heart's desire is that we would establish the kind of church that people would want to go to. Because that's not always the case. That we'd build the kind of church that people would want to go to. That'd be the kind of church that's relatable. That the people say, oh, I understand this. It's not, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. You, you, you make it simple. I actually think the art of great preaching is, is not taking simple things and making them complex. It's taking complex things and making them simple. I caught up with a gentleman this week who last weekend made a decision to say yes to Jesus. And one of the things that he mentioned is just, it's so simple. It just, it makes sense. I've never had anyone explain the Bible or Jesus in a way that makes sense. It's like you guys really know this person you're talking about. He said, it's easy. It's because I'm a bit simple. I don't know any other way. But we want to be relatable. That people would walk out and say, do you know what? I understand this. That, that, that we'd be practical. That people would walk away saying, I can use this. This doesn't just make sense in my life on one day of the week. It makes sense in my life every day of the week. This is, this is practical. That people would say that, that it's relatable. It, it, it's practical. That people would say, it's enjoyable. I actually enjoy this. This is the highlight of my week is being around Christians who, who love God. Not only that, the church would be accessible. The people would walk away saying, I, I can do this. I, I, I can do this. That, that we would be relational. The people would walk away saying, I, I felt at home there. I felt welcomed there. I felt loved there. It's interesting that the first thing Jesus does before he raises Lazarus from the tomb is he says to Lazarus' friends, remove the stone, remove the obstacle, remove the obstruction that is keeping Lazarus from me, that is holding Lazarus in a state other than being living, that you and I would be the kind of people, right, who remove the obstacles and the obstructions from people meeting Jesus, that we'd be relatable and practical and, and, and enjoyable and fun and accessible and relational in the way we live our lives, that we remove the stone, but it's Jesus who brings life. So point one, we remove the stone. Point two, Jesus resurrects the dead. Verse 43 and 44, when he had said this, when Jesus had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. But the truth is only God can make dead things live. Right? Only God can, can bring life. Only God can reach beyond the veneer of a person's life and cause that which is dead in them to come back to life. 
Religion doesn't work. Religion's kind of like spraying cologne on a corpse, hoping that it smells a bit better. But we don't serve a God who sprays cologne on things that are dead. We serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. He causes dead things to come back to life. And so Jesus says to Lazarus's friends, you remove the stone, but Jesus himself calls Lazarus by name and causes a man who has been dead for four days to come back to life because only God can make dead things live. And the truth is what happens for Lazarus in a literal sense happens for every person in a spiritual sense when they put their faith and trust into Jesus. That the minute we say yes to Jesus, that which is dead comes to life. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That that's actually and ultimately what salvation is about. It's not about trying to make bad people good. Christianity isn't about a behavior modification system where we're just trying to pull our socks up. No, no. Christianity is about putting our faith and trust in Jesus and coming alive to the things of God. And so Jesus didn't come to make bad people good or better. No, no. Jesus came to make dead people live. You might ask, well, well dead? I was very much alive before I said yes to Jesus. What, what part of me was dead? Well, Ephesians 2 puts it really plainly for us. In Ephesians 2 verses 1, right? It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the way of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also living among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, But because of his, God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. That Ephesians chapter 2 is the verse where Paul explains that it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. Lest any of us should boast about the kind of works that we did to deserve God's grace. No, no, no. It's a gift given to us by God. And so Paul points out that that actually we were all once dead in our transgressions and sins. That before I said yes to Jesus, there was a part of my life that was dead to God. That they didn't care for God, didn't care for the things of God. It, in fact, was quite happy sort of pursuing the, the, the lustfulness of my own flesh, the desires of my own flesh, the desires of an unredeemed heart. And so that was once how I lived. But there came a moment in my life where I realized... This this is not the way for me to live. This is hollow. This doesn't fulfill. And so I called upon the name of Jesus. And Jesus, because of he was rich in mercy and because of his great love for us, came to bring life. Jesus asked Lazarus' friends to roll away the stone because in people's lives there are obstacles that keep them from God. But, But then Jesus calls Lazarus by name and does what only God can do. He brings life to that which is dead. Come on, if you've said yes to Jesus, you know this to be true in your own life. That there was a time in your life where, where, where something changed on the inside and maybe at the start you thought it was only you who noticed, but over time people started to notice there's something different about you. What, what is it? What is that? that that's, I was once dead in my transgressions and sin and yet now something which was dead has come alive. My spirit on the inside, has come alive to the things of God. I'm not the same person I used to be. I, I don't even go and do some of the things I used to do. Something has changed forever. 
on the inside because Jesus has brought life where there was once death. Only Jesus can do that. And so when we talk about being a life-giving church, we're not talking about people simply living their best life. We're not joining in with BCF to live our best lives, Barry. We're not even talking about something that's purely temporal. We're talking about something that's eternal. That the one thing we can do now that we cannot do in heaven is actually to see people put their faith and trust in Jesus, experience life, and so that we would be life-giving, that it would never be lost on us to regularly have people in our lives who would say yes to the love and grace of God, who would experience that life-transforming moment for themselves. Jesus says to Lazarus' friends, roll away the stone. Jesus himself does what only Jesus can do. He brings dead things back to life. And here's the third and last part. Then we unwrap the living. It's our responsibility to remove the stone. It's Jesus' responsibility to bring life where there's death. And then it's our responsibility to unwrap the thing that's now living. Verse 44 says this, The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's interesting for Lazarus in this story that Lazarus was alive, but he still smelt like death. He was alive, but he's still wrapped in grave clothes. It's true of Lazarus in a literal and physical sense, but it's true for us also in a spiritual sense, right? Because each of us would remember that when we first said yes to Jesus, we'd made a decision to follow Christ, that something had forever altered in our lives, but there were still some parts of our life that smelt a bit like death, wasn't there? There were still some parts of our life that were needing God's hand upon them needing some redemption themselves, needing a touch from God or healing to take place or some of those things to be cut and removed from our lives. And it's interesting what happens for Lazarus in a literal sense it is a spiritual journey for us as well. There were people in our lives who removed some of the stones that were kind of keeping us from God. Maybe it was big questions we had about God and it was something like Alpha that we went along to and explored some of those big questions. Or maybe it was a conversation that, that kind of altered the way we viewed God or, or maybe just opened our heart just a little bit to the things of God. And, and so there was a person involved in our journey who removed the stone. And at some point in that journey, we, we decided, you know what, it's, it's, it's not just other people's experience. I, I want to experience God for myself. And so therefore, as a result, I, I I want to say yes to Jesus. And we noticed that when that happened, something began to alter on the inside because Jesus is able to bring to life that which was once dead and dead in transgressions and sin. But then God also used some people in our lives after that decision too because it wasn't like we were fully formed or everything worked out. No, there were some people who were involved in our lives. In fact, probably like me, you could count those people on one hand or maybe two hands. People that God used in a really significant way. But because you were alive where you were once dead, but you still kind of smell a bit like death. It's interesting, Jesus didn't unwrap the grave clothes from Lazarus. He said to his friends, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That we would be the kind of people, the kind of church that would do the journey with people to see life come. And that might mean helping people begin to unwrap some of the grave clothes 
Some, some of the things that even though they're alive, there's maybe some things that hold on to a past life. How do we do that practically? How, how do we do that personally? How do we do that intentionally? Well, I guess we kind of do it the same way that Lazarus' friends did it. They did it in partnership with God himself. They were rolling away the stones, allowing God to speak Lazarus' name and speak life, and then helping in the journey that followed. They were just listening to the instructions. of They weren't trying to change Lazarus. They weren't going to Lazarus and trying to shake him out of death. No, they were just listening to the next instruction that Jesus gave and following what Jesus had said. And, and so because they were personal and intentional, there was life that was brought. That, that we would be those kind of people who bring life, who speak life. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. I pray that our mouths are filled with life. Why? Because our tongue is really just like a bucket that reaches down into a well. And whatever is in the well, whatever is in the heart comes out. And so if there is life on the inside, if the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, then our tongue should just reach down into the well and bring up the life that's bubbling away in there. There will be people who speak life and bring life and encourage As you think about this, you can think about the fact that this is true in your own journey of faith, but it's true in every person's journey of faith, isn't it? There's biblical examples for this as well. As the worship team comes back this morning, probably for me one of those great examples would be in the life of the Apostle Paul. That the Apostle Paul needed two very important relationships in his life. He needed a relationship with Jesus but he also needed a relationship with believers. If you think about the Apostle Paul's life, that before he's the Apostle Paul writing two-thirds of the New Testament, writing the book of Ephesians, which we read from just before, but before that, he's a guy called Saul who's traveling around with letters in his bag giving him authority to capture and condemn Christians to death. That's the life he's living. And so in Acts chapter 9 This guy, Saul, who later becomes Paul, has an encounter with the living God. He's thrown from his horse on the way to Damascus. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9 and verse 10. Listen to this. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now, and I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. Ananias is not so sure that that this is a good idea. He's going to reason it out with God because God might have missed a few things about who this guy is. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. Can you imagine that journey for Ananias? 
Did I really hear God properly here? Is this a setup, right? So Ananias went and found Saul, and he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And the rest of Saul's story is an incredible transformation that God does in his life. But it started with an encounter with God and a meeting with a guy called Ananias who wasn't even sure if God had got this decision straight. There were two relationships that changed Saul's life. Saul needed a relationship with Jesus. It's only an encounter with God that will change a person's life like that. But Saul also needed a relationship with a believer. And so God used Ananias to help Saul find life. That's why we say it's our great privilege. It's our great mission to love and lead people to Jesus. If we are going to be a life-giving person, if this is going to be a strong, life-giving church, that then it should regularly be the testimony of our lives that God uses us to be able to remove some stones for people, just some obstacles, just some things that maybe they've built up to keep God out. That the God would regularly use us to be witnesses of the fact that he is able to make dead things live again, that he's able to bring transformation into people's lives. That is an incredible privilege and honor that we get to be witnesses of that. And that in that journey of faith, whilst we can't make people's decisions for them, what we can do is come alongside them. And as they make steps in their journey of faith, be people that God uses to, in Saul's case, lay hands on Saul and pray for him. And in praying for him and laying hands on him, seeing scales fall from his eyes and sight being regained and a new vision for his life being established. In the case of Lazarus, to to see some of the the old parts of his life. He's alive, but he still smells a bit like death. That God would help us to be the kind of people that would bring life. That's why it's our privilege to love and lead people to Jesus. We're not trying to change people. We're just trying to point people to the person who changed us. But we're not trying to make it complicated. It's really simple. Just love and lead people to Jesus. Just partner with God in his plan of bringing redemption into not just every place, but to every person. I've got to admit, as the pastor, that's a lot easier to preach than to do. Why? Because life gets busy. And sometimes you can get so busy doing things that you actually forget that this is the whole point. Right? Sometimes you get so busy just in doing the things that we do all the time that, that we barely make enough time to pray and ask, God, help use me today. God, what stones can I remove? Lord, what person are you bringing across my path? God, let me, let me walk slowly enough today to be able to see the people, the mission you've placed in front of me. I know it must be a thing for all of us because even as a pastor, that's true. But I have to be reminded that I I can't build the church from my office. You have to get out of there. 
you've got to walk slowly through people's lives. You walk slowly through the corridors of the center. You've got to be on mission. Why? Because, because God is calling you and I to be the kind of people, to be the kind of church that brings life, that sees God do what only he can do in people's lives. Man, what a privilege that is. It's the one thing we can do now that we can't do in heaven. In heaven, we can worship. Man, the worship in heaven, it'll be crazy. We put little headphones on Sienna this morning because Dara was on drums, which we love. <laughs> but in heaven, the worship, far out. We can do that in heaven. Um, it, on earth, we, we've, got, we've got the word. In heaven, my preaching will not be any good. You'll actually get to meet the word. His name is Jesus, right? The one thing we can do now that we can't do there is to see people put their faith and trust in Jesus. That's the one thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do now. Imagine if God's new Christians program was actually each person says yes to Jesus and then off to heaven. It'd be a very simple new Christians program, right? There'd be no chance of ever backsliding, just gone. Why doesn't God do that? Because now having received life, we've got something we can give that we didn't have before. You can't give what you haven't got. But as recipients of life, the kind of life that God brought, we've got, now got something to be able to give that we didn't have before. And so God leaves you and I on planet Earth. Why? Because the church is God's soul-winning mechanism on the earth. This is a part of his plan. This is part of his design. That, that, that we would partner with God in seeing life, not just temporal, but eternal life coming into people's lives, altering people and families and marriages and individuals and, and legacies and generations. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We're going to take a moment, just a second, to be able to worship together. But before we do, I just want to pray for us. Lord, I just thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to whisper into our hearts words of life, words of encouragement, to build us up, to give us a hope and a future, and a vision, and dreams. Lord, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. No matter how many times we've been knocked down, we can believe to get back up again because we serve the God that not even death could hold him down. He rose from the grave. He's the God of the comeback. Lord, this morning as we worship, that we would know that life in us. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.